Chapter forty one of the Convict by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty one. There was a certain degree of agitation upon Eda's beautiful face when the party from the library entered the room where she sat, but that agitation did not take one particle from the grace of her demeanour, and in a few minutes all were seated round the table. As usual, where there is a great deal of vanity, there was a certain portion of spite in Lord Kingsland's nature, and on the present occasion it did not sleep. He was mortified at losing the hand of the heiress of Brandon, and he took care to make the person who was likely to cause that loss feel all that was painful in his position to the utmost. Not, indeed, that he ever dreamed that Eda would give, or that Sir Arthur would suffer her to give, her hand to one who had been a convict. That was a thing quite out of the question, in his opinion. It might be supposed, therefore, that he would not easily be led to give up the pursuit in which he had engaged, as a marriage with the heiress had always been looked upon by him merely as a matter of convenience. But in every man's mind there is some peculiar prejudice of that sort commonly called crutchet, generally proceeding from vanity, and in this case decidedly so. He thought Eda Brandon exceedingly beautiful, but still he had not husbanded the fine feelings of the heart so carefully as to be capable of love. Nevertheless, Lord Kingsland would on no account have married a woman who had loved another. He did not like that any man on earth should be able to say of his wife, she was once engaged to me. And how much less would he have liked it to be said that Lady Kingsland had been in love with a convict? As that could not be, the only consolation he could find under his little disappointment was to make Eda and Dudley feel that the latter had been a convict, and would ever by his fellow men be regarded as a convict. He became exceedingly curious, on a sudden, about Van Diemen's Land, asked innumerable questions in regard to Hobart Town, and even ventured upon Norfolk Island. Convict discipline became a matter of great interest to him, and to hear him speak upon the subject, of which he knew nothing, one would have thought that he was a great philanthropic legislator. Dudley answered his questions with calm gravity, but yet he could not help feeling, with painful acuteness, that the world, the bitter, slanderous world, had got its fangs in his flesh, with a hold that nothing could shake off, that a stain had been placed upon his name most unjustly, which, though it might be erased, would still leave a trace behind. With the sharp and clear perception of woman, Eda understood the motives in which the peer's conduct originated, and felt both contempt and anger. The only effect which it produced upon her own conduct, however, was to make her demeanour to Dudley more marked and tender. Eda Brandon never flirted in her life, and there was something very distinct from anything of that sort in her behaviour on the present occasion. But she felt that it was due to Dudley, when she saw him so unfairly annoyed, to take her stand, as it were, by his side, and to let her affection for him be perfectly undisguised. The other gentlemen who were in the room, and who had not been present at the scene which had taken place in the library, seemed amazingly puzzled at all they now witnessed. In addition to everything else, Sir Arthur Adelon was evidently ill at ease, and Edgar was stern, silent, and almost sharp in his replies when forced to speak. Mr. Filmer was the only one who maintained his usual placid demeanour, 
and he did that perfectly for alas it is a very fatal error to believe that the external appearance of calm tranquillity is always an indication of a heart at peace with itself the priest made a fuller breakfast than usual conversed agreeably with those around him and gave no indication of having any cause for anxiety or even deep thought within before the meal was fully over however a servant came in and announced that mr clive and his daughter were there and dudley could perceive that filmer's face turned deadly pale show them in said sir arthur i am very glad they have returned who is mr clive asked the young baronet whom i have mentioned once before and while sir arthur was answering oh he is a gentleman of a very old family but somewhat reduced circumstances the priest arose quietly and saying in a low tone i am glad they have come too i want much to speak with clive for a few minutes moved with his usual noiseless step towards the door but edgar adelon suddenly sprang up from the table and placed himself in the way that cannot be suffered he exclaimed you must remain here sir you this from you edgar exclaimed mr filmer drawing back with an air of astonishment if not really felt certainly well assumed yes answered edgar and more too for where i once esteemed what he was about to add was stopped by the entrance of mr clive and helen who sprang forward to Eda Brandon as to a sister. Sir Arthur greeted Mr. Clive himself with his usual kind but somewhat stately air, and Mr. Filmer approached with a degree of eagerness, which in him betokened no slight agitation, as if to welcome Mr. Clive, holding out his hand to him at the same time. But Clive drew back, and looking sternly at the priest said, "'Excuse me, sir,' there are matters which require explanation before i can either look upon you as my friend or listen to you as my pastor what can be the meaning of all this exclaimed sir arthur adelon explain clive i am in the dark ay let him explain answered mr filmer setting his teeth tight i can give a sufficient account of my own conduct and my own motives and do not fear any explanations but his clouded brow and unwanted manner showed that there was something which he had wished concealed but which could be no longer hidden if you wish it sir my conduct can all be easily explained said clive and then turning towards sir arthur he was going on when his eyes suddenly fell upon dudley and advancing towards him he took his hand in his own and pressed it with a grave look saying mr dudley i am delighted to see you back in your own country again and free from all stain or reproach believe me had i known that a false charge had been brought against you had it not been studiously concealed from me by the most artful and the most infamous means you should not have laboured for one hour under an imputation from which i can free you this i am sure you know and you now know also who it was that did the deed for which you have suffered so severely but what you do not know perhaps is the man whom you see there standing before you urged me to fly knowing that the act was mine and the very same night contrived means to turn the charge against you mr filmer took a step towards them where they stood and exclaimed with a solemn and impressive air clive clive my friend you are suffering a generous nature to betray you into most ungenerous acts 
"'I wish those words had been spoken by heretical lips rather than yours. "'Have you no respect for the religion you profess, or for its ministers, "'that when one of them did you an act of great kindness "'you should use it as a charge against him? "'Tell me, did I not, the moment I knew what you had done, "'did I not, I say, come down at a late hour of the night "'to comfort and counsel you? "'I did advise you to fly, I acknowledge it, "'but it was in consideration of your own safety,' that i did so for let me tell you my son that even in this land which boasts so much of its equity and its justice it is no slight thing to kill a peer of the realm as soon as i was told who it was that had done it i went down for the sole purpose of advising you to fly as the only means of saving you from detection and punishment may i ask you sir said dudley as this seems to be an explanation rather than an examination who was the man from whom you derived your information you are very ignorant sir it would appear replied filmer with an air of reproof of the rules and principles of a church of which you are accustomed to express contempt and abhorrence otherwise you would know that a priest does not break the seal of confession to give you or any one else the name would be a violation of that important law and did you really know who it was that killed lord hadley demanded sir arthur adelon in a tone of surprise i did sir what then replied mr filmer with a stern look laying a somewhat menacing emphasis upon the words nay nothing replied sir arthur adelon but dudley went on sternly saying it is unnecessary mr filmer to violate the seal of confession for we know the name of your informant already and in this deposition you will find all the facts i am inclined to imagine that daniel connor is even now in his house but if you will examine that paper you will see that he has already deposed to his having told you the whole truth and to your having come down to him afterwards to induce him to put his evidence in such a shape as to bring the charge upon me rather than upon mr clive now sir arthur adelon this is something like a subornation of witnesses and it can be proved by the man's own statement you are labouring under a mistake young gentleman said filmer now driven to bay for his own sake and his safety i certainly did recommend to daniel connor to go up and give his evidence spontaneously in order that no suspicion should attach to himself he said if i recollect rightly that the man who had done the deed was very much of the same height as yourself but when he swore that he swore truly doubtless replied dudley but he states that he could have told exactly who did it and would have told if it had not been for your persuasion to the contrary this seems a very bad case said lord kingsland speaking to edgar adelon if the animus can be proved it will assume a serious complexion without replying directly to the peer edgar stepped forward and addressing mr filmer demanded did you or did you not sir when you knew that i was seeking for evidence and had nearly obtained it to show before a jury the impossibility of mr dudley having committed the offence with which he was charged did you not cause me to be watched followed and apprehended after a struggle in which my life was nearly endangered and did you not afterwards deceive me grossly as to the time when the trial was to be brought on and take every means of preventing me from accomplishing the end i had in view now sir you cannot deny it and if you can i will convict you by the testimony of your own spy your conduct towards members of your own flock might be explained away perhaps but this proves your object 
if it does not prove your motives are you not of my own flock said mr filmer in a tone of reproach my son i am sorry to hear of such defalcation edgar paused gazing silently in his face for a moment and then with a sudden start he replied i will not have the question turned from the straightforward course your object was i say to load an innocent man with a false charge to deprive him of all means of establishing his innocence and to see him condemned and suffer for that of which you knew him to be guiltless he spoke impetuously but there was a truth a sincerity an earnestness in his whole tone and manner which carried conviction to the hearts of those who heard it and at a mere glance round mr filmer gathered enough from the faces of the somewhat numerous auditory to show him that he was condemned by the judgment of all present but he quailed not his brow grew stern his look lofty and he replied in a loud almost imperious tone my object sir was to save you and to save that lady from the wiles of the artful and ambitious that is the great object that i have had in view in every act of mine which concerned that person but his reply only still farther roused edgar's indignation of me sir he said you shall say what you like but do not attempt again to mix my dear cousin's name with this business with her at least you have nothing to do except that knowing you all along to be what you are she has tolerated you in her house out of respect for my father but i think if she had known and my father had known how deeply and shamelessly you have injured him and injured one who is now a saint in heaven she would never have suffered you to enter her gates and he would have spurned you from his door what do you mean whom do you mean exclaimed sir arthur adelon starting forward with a face as pale as ashes and eyes haggard with intense emotion whom do you mean my son whom do you mean my edgar my mother answered edgar adelon in a slow and solemn tone and almost as he spoke the words sir arthur reeled and fell at his feet End of chapter forty one